previously on What Next. They had my they had my children raise their hands like they were criminals as well. Something happened the second night, and I wish I could remember exactly what it was. That was the worst night of all of them, right? Mm-hmm. Sure was. You never know what you're going to end up remembering in life, and I'll never forget her. To really understand what happened in Ferguson in 2014, it helps to wind the tape back past the day that Michael Brown was killed. In the summer of 2014, there were various episodes of Black men being killed by the police under circumstances that were either clearly unjustified or which were unjustified based on the way we first heard about them. John McWhorter was watching all these incidents play out. John's Black. He's a writer, and he teaches at Columbia University. Did it feel a particular way to sort of see these stories come out? Because the details were really, the details were shocking. You had a man in a Walmart with a BB gun, gunned down by police. John Crawford, right. Police officers are here. They're on the scene. All right. I just have any shots fired. Start an ambulance. You killed for, you know, holding up a toy. You had Eric and, Garner. Yeah, Eric Garner is, you know, basically pleading for his life. I can't breathe. 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 And these sorts of things are not happening once every five years. It was almost numbing. And what was interesting about it was that finally white America could see what ails a lot of Black America. I think a lot of very well-intentioned whites look at the race debate and they think, why are Black people still so upset? What's the issue? And a great deal of the issue has been the cops. In Ferguson, this realization was reinforced by how the police responded in the days after the shooting doubling down on strong-arm tactics, wearing body armor, using tear gas. But John can't stop thinking about the details of Michael Brown's story, the story that started all this. He says so much of what people remember about the August day Brown was killed is simply a myth. There is an important legend here. John Crawford did get killed. Eric Garner did get killed. And we could go on and on with various black men who were killed under conditions quite different from Ferguson. It's inconvenient to me that the case that forever most people will think about is the one where, essentially, we were lied to. Today, why John feels lied to. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just a few days after Michael Brown's death, John was writing about it. For Time Magazine, The Daily Beast. He's the type of writer who's got no problem looking at things through a different and often contrarian lens. It's interesting. I um, am often thought of as a black conservative for very understandable reasons. I worked for the Manhattan Institute for a while, and you know the, the myth will never die that I'm a right-wing Republican conservative among some people. But that means that I'm used to getting hate mail from people on the left. John was writing in support of the Ferguson protests. So this time, he was getting hate mail from people on the right. A lot of it. This was one of the first times I had gotten that volume of hate mail that heated. And it really got me thinking about the country's mood. Can you tell me about, like, one of the letters? I remember one physical letter that I got written in a rather crabbed hand. And the person said, you know, I am a white male, 60-something years old, and I just have to say, and you always have to watch out when somebody says, I just have to say, I just have to say that I'm tired of people like you stirring up racial animus in this country. I'm tired of being called a racist. And to be honest, Mary, I could put myself in the heads of those sorts of people and understand how it might feel. John can understand this point of view because of everything he's learned after Michael Brown's death. There are really two stories of what happened the night Michael Brown was killed. The story we heard immediately after he was gunned down, and then the story we came to know months later, after a federal investigation. At first, the details of Mike Brown's death were hazy. Some witnesses said he was running towards Darren Wilson when he was shot. Others said he had his hands up in surrender. It was this image of Michael Brown with his hands in the air that took hold. This was the chant you heard as protests spread around the country. Hands up, don't shoot. It was repeated by football players and news anchors, even members of Congress. Hands up, don't shoot. But the truth of what happened between Michael Brown and Darren Wilson was more complicated. Good afternoon. Uh, I'd like to take the the next few moments to address the the two investigations that the Justice Department has been conducting in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, these last several months. When the Department of Justice concluded six months of investigation into what took place in Ferguson, the Attorney General, Eric Holder, announced they'd found no evidence to support the story that Michael Brown was surrendering to police when he was killed. This morning, the Justice Department announced the conclusion of our investigation and released a comprehensive 87-page report documenting our findings and our conclusions that the facts do not support the filing of criminal charges against Officer Darren Wilson in this case. Instead, witness after witness described Michael Brown reaching for Darren Wilson's gun, and eventually charging towards the officer, who fired in, quote, what appeared to be self-defense. One man said he testified so Brown's family wouldn't think a police officer got away with murdering their son. 
another witness said she would have fired sooner. When you saw the Department of Justice report about mm-hmm. what happened with Michael Brown, did that change how you thought about what you'd been writing about for a year at that point? Mm-hmm. What happened in Ferguson was quite different from what we were told. No one can doubt now that Michael Brown did not die with his hands up. He had been quite aggressive with Darren Wilson, and Darren Wilson shot him because he was afraid. Now, we can talk about why did Darren Wilson have to shoot him to kill? That's a whole conversation as opposed to shooting him in the leg. But the idea that a quote-unquote gentle giant got shot with his hands up is a myth, and we've heard this even from the people who were watching. I have been quite disturbed that a major element in our intelligentsia and punditocracy pretends that the truth about Ferguson is somehow beside the point. You can assume that there's going to be a movie about Ferguson, and I can, I'm sure they're probably shooting it now. And in the part where Michael Brown is killed, you can be sure that they're going to go in slow motion. They're going to start with strobe lighting. The camera angles are going to get weird. And the director and the writer are going to give interviews where they say that they wanted to make it clear that the truth is unsure, that they're varying perspectives. They're going to pretend that this is all Rashomon, etc. But no, the truth is quite simple. There are going to be people who say the way you're talking is cold. I'll preface it by saying that part of the reason the Mike Brown myth sticks is because of a certain narratively compelling nature to what supposedly happened. If you're trying to raise awareness about the relationship between black men and the cops, what happened to him is almost more educational than things that happened to other black men. It's a very clean kind of tale. Maybe that makes it better. Maybe. One of the reasons John's got so little patience for the original story about Michael Brown's death is that he'd rather we pay attention to the Justice Department's second investigation into policing in Ferguson. Yet it remains not only valid, but essential to question how such a, such a strong alternative version of events was able to take hold so swiftly and to be accepted so readily. Now, a possible explanation for this discrepancy was uncovered during the course of our, our second federal investigation. What I find more interesting about Ferguson is what led to the mood that would make Michael Brown behave the way he did, that led the community to all circle around him at first and, frankly, promulgate the myth that he was killed in cold blood. The reason that there was this black animus in Ferguson was because of indefensible, biased treatment over decades. That treatment, as exposed in the report, it was shocking. It revealed that the city prioritized revenue over public safety. They were floating the city budget by charging residents fines and fees. The police force routinely made unconstitutional stops and arrests, and they disproportionately targeted black residents. In a way, Mike Brown's death was useful in that it called attention to that. And also, I wrote about that and got more of that 
kind of hate mail. The idea being, how dare I stir up hatred about Ferguson again? But no, really, if we're going to get to the heart of this issue of the cops and black men, we have to know about what had been going on in Ferguson, including the less dramatic but more important fact of all of these traffic stops and fines and nights in jail and, you know, months and months in eventually prison based on this open discrimination and running a town based on the collection of all these fees from people who have enough problems already. If John had his way, it would be this issue, the issue of racist policing in Ferguson that would focus on today. But years later, after the release of both of these Justice Department reports, he just keeps hearing the same thing. I was listening to two black men who were transit workers, and they were just talking. And this was in 2016. This was after the Department of Justice report had come out. And one of them was saying, so, for example, if anybody wants to say there's no more racism, well, Mike Brown, that's it right there. And the other one said, yep, they were representative. They knew the first version of the story. And for them, there's that legend in the community at this point. And I certainly was not going to be one to say, well, actually, if you read the report, because, you know, that wouldn't have helped. And they wouldn't have wanted to hear that. It's taken on a totemic status. And that, I don't think that's an optimal state of affairs. Hmm. I wonder if you can tell me, if we remember this incorrectly, what are the consequences? Why do you worry about it? Why does it bother me so much that that particular story is the myth? That that myth, if it actually helps create change. John Crawford gets shot because he holds up a gun. Nobody remembers that. Everybody remembers Tamir Rice because he's little. Eric. The reason that it bothers me that a myth lives that might be a spark for activism nevertheless. It's a myth, but it could help create change. What bothers me about it is that it being untrue leaves black people who are concerned with where we are on race open to a charge of lying. There's so many cases where the facts are quite clear. And then there's a case that people will bring up all the time that there'll be movies and plays about, which is based on a lie. And the lie is easy to find today with the internet. When John worries about the way we remember Ferguson, he thinks back to those people who wrote him letters in the very first days after the shooting. The ones who were tired of being called racist. The ones who accused him of race baiting. Hi, I'm Ben Shapiro, and this is Reality Check. Years later, people like this, people who are outraged by Ferguson, they can take comfort in the far right's embrace of the idea that Ferguson is a lie. The evidence shows that Michael Brown was an 18-year-old, 6'4", 289-pound black criminal who robbed a convenience store, who attacked a police officer while high, and who then got shot. That's what the grand jury... So many people who are tired of the race debate, tired of being called racist, angry at people who they perceive as stirring this stuff up. For... The most prominent case of a cop murdering a black man to be one where we happen not to have been told the truth, 
where you can always say, actually, that didn't happen. It's not healthy because it's going to stand in the way of constructive debate. It'll leave many people wondering whether we were lied to about a lot of the other cases. If it were up to me, we would focus on the other cases. I think Eric Garner, I don't want to say useful, but I think Eric Garner is a much more useful case in that it's quite clear what happened. It's quite clear what happened with Tamir Rice. It's quite clear what happened with Sam DeBose, with with John Crawford, with all of the people that we see year after year. For the iconic case to be a lie is highly inconvenient. It makes black activism look sloppy. It makes black activism look manipulative. And I'd rather it not be that way. Hmm. So if we accept that this story is a myth that mm-hmm. we're telling ourselves, mm-hmm. I think it's still functional. I think it's still useful. I think a lot of things grew out of that terrible summer that started a conversation that people needed to be having. I think that Ferguson drew attention to the militarization of police and sparked a really important movement of people pushing back on that. And yes, it was called Black Lives Matter, But frankly, it's probably had a powerful impact for more than just black people. You know, Mary, I would go with you on that. If all of America is more aware of the problem with black men and the cops, the problem with the militarization of the police, then we're further on than we were 10 years ago. And you have to decide what your priorities are. 25 years ago, I remember uh, an intelligent, educated white woman of about 21 just asking me casually, and this is before I had any reputation for writing about things like this, but I remember her question. She was saying, well, black people can go anywhere they want to go. You know, here we are at this school and there are plenty of black people here. Everything seems to be so different from the way it was back in the 60s and before that. So what's the problem now? And she really wanted to know, and she wasn't saying it in a disrespectful way, but she wanted to know. I think that her child now would not ask that question. I think her child now would know what the problem was. And, you know, a lot of it is because her child probably would know who Mike Brown was or would know where, of all places, Ferguson, Missouri is. I can't say that that's a bad thing. Tomorrow on the show, the man between the protesters and the police, our conversation with St. Louis County's first black prosecutor, Wesley Bell. What my thought was, okay, I'm going to get around this. (laughs) And I just remember that thought like, oh, my God, (laughs) My, my, my house is on fire. We just knew if that crowd got to the to the police officers who were barricaded, that something bad was going to happen. That's tomorrow on What Next, when our series continues.